It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. And you know, it's really funny. I've been doing this show for so many years. My husband said I said that in my sleep one one night. (laughs) Um, I I opened the show in the middle of the night. So um, anyway, (laughs) welcome. (laughs) Can you imagine receiving answers to your most thought-provoking questions about life on Earth, spanning topics such as historical events to present-day environmental issues, spiritual issues? That's what happened when today's guest, Penelope Jean Hayes, communicated with the divine wisdom source who, whom self-introduced as Pax, channeled through intuitive Carol Serene Borgens. What ensued was the writing of the groundbreaking and awe-inspiring book titled Do Unto Earth. Do Unto Earth speaks plainly to the damage humankind has done to the planet, both physically and energetically, and the ways in which we can fix it, from the global water shortage issue to the industrial-aged use of plastics to the mass pollution of our air, water, and soil. And so much more. This book book addresses how we can halt further damage and begin planetary repair through advancements in both technology and consciousness. Penelope Jean Hayes is the foremost leader in the field of contagious and osmotic energy, known as virology. She has appeared on television hundreds of times as an expert guest, including for Dr. Phil, ABC News, and internationally. In 2020, she founded the Viral Energy Institute for Personal, Interpersonal, and Planetary Wellness. Penelope is the author of the books, The Magic of Viral Energy, An Ancient Key to Happiness, Empowerment, and Purpose, and The Likely Future. Uh, and also the book we're going to talk about today, Do Unto Earth. Carol Serene Borgens has the gift as channeler and medium of communicating directly with the spirit messenger Pax, channeling Pax wisdom for books and the world, while also growing her own inner peace and balance in the world, in a world of uncertainty. Through automatic writing, Carol Serene and Pax have brought wisdom and guidance to people around the world since the early 1990s. We are so privileged to have Penelope and Carol with us and, as a matter of fact, back with us because they were with us before um, this book actually went into print. So we began to talk about many of the things that are in it, but now I have this book in front of me, this beautiful, beautiful book that encompasses pretty much any question you could ever ask um, about the unknown all aspects. So um, let me bring them on so we can get started. Good morning, Penelope. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Randy. So um, this book is so 
so beautiful and so comprehensive. But I want to start, um, Carol, by asking you, who PACS is? Who PACS says he, she, it is? Well, I'm going to share that answer uh, with Penelope, but I'll start by saying that uh, Pax is the spirit messenger that's been with me since the early 1990s, whose purpose for uh, joining with me is to share the wisdom of spirit for all mankind as to how to improve our lot here on planet Earth so that we, in fact, continue to have a future on planet Earth. He's, uh, I refer to Tupac as he always have, although this is a collected universal wisdom. Uh, it's, a, it's a wisdom and an energy shared with us that is pure love, uh, pure intention for our greater good, our continued wellness. And I'd like to ask Penelope to share uh, what's in the book, how Pax described himself. Penelope? Yes, I'd love to. I would love to. When when we started writing the book together, the three of us, Carol, Pax, and myself, I was the new person in the trio. Carol knew the energy that she was speaking to for many, many years, decades, in fact, and for me, as a journalist, I need to know everything. So I need to know, you know, who, who is this that we're talking to? And at that time, we did not have the name Pax. What we had was Carol was channeling a spirit energy that she had worked with for a long time. And that was really all she needed to know. And so when I came in and we started writing Do Unto Earth and I started my series of questions for the book, one of the first questions was, you know, I'd like to know more about who I'm talking to and who exactly are you and did you once walk the earth? And so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, is this Jesus? Is this, you know, a Muhammad? Is this some great prophet that once walked our earth? Um, is this um, as someone who's deceased, who's now in the spirit world? You know, who is this spirit energy? And the answer came back, and this is a direct quote that's in the book. We are one with the universe, not the universe alone. We are the divine universe, yes, and the God being and the greater wisdom, that which knows and supports all and is healing, non-judgmental and tolerant, all-seeing, all-knowing and peace. And so in that moment, all of us, and Carol included, because she hadn't asked that question And we were just like, wow, you know, we're talking to the universe, the universal energy, the God being. It was really a tremendous moment. And then the next question came, well, is there a name that I can call you? So it was made clear by Pax that to use the term God was not as appropriate as God being because there is a different connotation and and God can be um, not as inclusive to the many world religions and to the um, the, the deities and to the divine sources that each religion in the world calls their divine one. And so to be inclusive, God being was an appropriate term, but also Pax said, you know, I'd like you to call me Pax, and it means peace. So that was a moniker, and we began using it from that point forward. That's so interesting. You know, we we think that something has got to have you know, a location or a physical presence. But these these wise entities, these teachers, just come from out there, from the universe to help us. It's amazing. Um, Penelope, you asked um, 
about the um, evolution of man mm-hmm. through through anthropologists finding fossil remains and things like that. And Pax explained, no, we came as star seeds. <laughs> and then you ask, what are star seeds? So I'm going to ask you, what are star seeds, and how does Pax say we got here? The first question that I had was, because our topic was environmentally based in this book, is on environmental repair, but it covers just really every topic of curiosity that I ever had. You know, if you had the God being sitting in front of you, what would you ask? And so the environmental healing also encompasses a lot of our curiosities, and the book is, you know, very highly engaging for that reason. But again, one of my first questions was this environmentally-based question to say that, you know, some people say that we're aliens to this planet because we're the only species that is not in um, perfect harmony with the rest of the natural world. And it seems to be one, you know, kind of a common question, you know, are we in fact aliens of this planet? And I was half being facetious, but kind of did want to know. And the answer from Pax came back that indeed you are from elsewhere. You did not originate on planet Earth. In fact, you were from light years away. And so then he gave us the term star seeds, that we are star seeds And we came at many different times throughout history. So when I dig in with Pax in Do Unto Earth regarding, okay, so we do have a missing link. There are some questions in our evolution theory that, um, that, you know, there's room for um, error here. And so at what point did humankind arrive on planet Earth? And this is what I was trying to nut down on. And the answer was that we were star-seeded at many different times throughout history, and not only that, but star-seeded from various planets in various galaxies, and therefore various peoples with various cultures, various looks, skin color, language, and that we came at different times, and that this does not negate our theory of evolution, but that that was a peoples that came at that time, and evolution for some, did progress in the way that we, our anthropologists currently think it did. And for others, they're, you know, the, uh, they were not able to evolve on this planet and they became extinct. Others came fully formed, you know, the way we are now almost, other than um, a certain amount of evolution that would have taken place from that time because the star seeding hasn't happened in a great number of years. So since our recorded history well, if you go right back to early recorded history, there is evidence of this. And Pax points to cave artwork and early ancient artwork at that time. And that if you, you know, do know about that, that there is proof in there of our star-seeded origin. So this was actually a very um, detailed conversation in Do Unto Earth. And there's a lot of information there, but I'll start with that. Yes, there is a lot of information, and you sort of you you covered one of the questions that I was going to ask you, but I just want to emphasize it. So, you know, we wonder how people have different different ethnicities or different cultures have different looks. Their skin colors are different. Their language is different, and this explains it because they come from. We each come from a different place these star a different seeds. home planet 
Mm-hmm. Home planet. And so, again, it's a, important to understand that the e, ETs, we'll call them ETs, actually Pax gives us the term OPA, Other Planetary Ancestors, and that we are to know that all ETs are friendly. There is no such thing as a not-friendly alien because they are our relatives and they um, do want to check in on us. But to your question, we have the various cultures and various skin colors, as you say, very, various ethnicities. And the period of time that we would have evolved per different locations, so you have northern people have certain traits and certain physical appearances because of where they spent a lot of time. And then there's nomadic people that had to travel around for food. And so there are the variations of evolution that did derive from that. But as a whole, there are distinctly different peoples that came from different planets and different galaxies. And that this was in fact, and there's a term for it that Pax gives, and it is the Planet Earth Project. And that Planet Earth is a very special place. And while there are these so many civilizations in our universe, advanced civilizations, our planet is very unique and special in that this was the place that they said, let's put all of them together and see how they do, see how their civilization does, and to look at the word civil and the word civilization. So that it's very important to understand that this is the project of what we're here for. If you want to know um, your own life purpose and also look at the greater purpose of humanity, well, the greater purpose of humanity is unity, and this is something that we're still working on today. This is so amazing. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, I'm stunned, yeah. But, I, you know, as I'm reading this book, I'm like, you know, I mean, these are answers that no one would anticipate. The starseed idea, no one would anticipate that. So this is very, very cool information. Uh, which makes me think, and I don't know if you got the answer to this, because different cultures come from different locations. Are we supposed to get along? Yes. <laughs> we did get the answer for that. Yes. And the Planet did Earth you? Project is exactly yes. And it was um, really one of the pivotal points and takeaways from the entire book, Do Unto Earth, that our environment is linked to this concept of unity and that these things cannot be looked at other than linked together and vitally important to one another, but that the whole point is that we do get along. The whole point is to put the different cultures here and to see how we, uh, how our civilization does, how we behave, how we love each other, and that it always comes back to love. The idea is for us to, to love each other and to embrace our differences. And Pax is very clear that you're kind of doing it all wrong. If you want to look at how to advance your civilization, how to advance even your technology, how to fix your problems, how to have peace on earth, the answer lies in your differences and to embrace your differences. And that one culture might do, you know, ABC very well, and another culture does DEF very well. And to look at those things and instead of trying to... um, you know, make everybody the same or to not like another culture because they're different from you. To really look at, well, you know, what is different about them? Why are they different? And how is that really an asset to us as a whole? You also talked about, um, you also asked about the Bermuda Triangle, which I thought was really interesting. You asked about Amelia Earhart. 
Earhart, um, you know, and, and where she is, where it went down, and um, you asked about sunken planets, sun, sunken um, continents, uh, such as Atlantis and Lemuria. But um, what did they tell you, what did Pex tell you about the Bermuda Triangle? Mm-hmm. This is so fascinating, Randy. So we know of the anomalies in the Bermuda Triangle. It's um, you know widely talked about, lots of television shows and documentaries about the Bermuda Triangle. So there's quite a lot of evidence, including from pilots, Air Force pilots, um, people that are not in the habit of dramatization of an event. So we know there's a lot of evidence to back that up. And the answer from PAX as to why we have these navigational anomalies is that underneath the Bermuda Triangle area and underneath the water, so subterranean, underneath the water, but then also underneath the, the land at the bottom of the, um, the seafloor, is a UFO base. And this is currently not occupied at this time, although it was very recently. And this base is a charging station for UFO vehicles, so for ET vehicles that they brought from their home planet a special um, mineral substance that is not native to Earth, and it is stored there, and it affects the navigational equipment. And that that base is currently not occupied by ETs, but it will be, again, in, in the fairly near future, not knowing what that linear time is. So at the moment, it's not occupied, but that, that the minerals are still there, and these are affecting navigational equipment. And that one thing that we can do, and one of my questions was, okay, well, that, you know, is obviously a very dangerous area. You know, what can we do now that that is the case? And these, you know, all ETs are friendly. I'm sure they wouldn't want to hurt us. What can we do to mitigate that? Um, to Do we just avoid that area? What do we do? And Pax said that we can ask for a friendly passage and ask for, you know, safe voyage. And I said, well, ask who? You know, ask the spirit world, ask the aliens, like who? who? And he said, Mother Earth, that you would ask Mother Earth, it's basically a simple prayer or meditation to Mother Earth for safe passage, and that intention is everything. And in our book, Do Unto Earth, Pax mentions intention in 56 unique conversations. And intention is just extremely important for everything. Really? Um, and I, as I ask these questions, Carol, feel free to jump in. I'm just going to throw them out there because I don't know who I should ask. I know, P- Penelope, you asked the questions, and Carol, you um, got the answers <laughs> psychically. Um, Randy, so, um, if Penelope is absolutely our best source. There is an idiosyncrasy to my channeling, and uh, it's not uncommon among channelers that I don't recall what I have channeled once it's done. Uh, it doesn't enter my conscious mind on the way through, so that there isn't uh, an imprint there. So I have to reread the books. <laughs> okay. All right, that's fine. I just didn't want to leave you out, Carol. Oh, thank you. I, I, no, I want to make sure you're included. Okay. I appreciate so, it. So in Chapter 4, the ways you ask a very loaded question to start it off. Mm-hmm. If we had to pick just one anthropo- anthropogenic, anthropogenic to funnel our attention, what is the largest threat 
to our environment and the survival of our planet and life on Earth? That's a huge question. Mm-hmm. Um, so where do we start with that? So I was getting at, you know, I really wanted to know is climate change which used to be called global warming, and then it was marketed, literally marketed by governments and, and politics and um, the like to change that term to global warming because it sounded a little bit better. Um, so I was getting at that, but I try as a journalist to not do what's called a leading question to kind of give the answer in my question. So I wanted to know what is the biggest threat to humanity. We talk about, Pat says in the book, that... We humans on planet Earth only have 8 to 12 years before a fail-safe point is reached. And that fail-safe point is not the end of the world, but it would be the point at which it's too late, that if we continue on this trajectory, it would be too late. So at that point, I already knew that. And I already knew that we had a clock ticking, and I knew that we were contacted, and I was brought into our project at this time because it's a pivotal and critical time. So I wanted to get down to the nitty-gritty, okay, what are we doing? What is the worst thing that people are doing, anthropogenic, caused by humans, to affect our planet's well-being? And Pax said pollution, the pollution. And so I'm scratching my head going pollution. I thought it was climate change. And so we talked further, and I said, well, you know, some people, including all of our best scientists, say that it's in fact climate change that is our most pressing threat to the well-being of the planet and life on Earth. And he says, you know, that they are, the, this is the same thing and that you can't have one without the other and it is the pollution that causes the climate change. So it's sort of like, a, oh, okay, of course, you know, moments that, you know, if I'm, and he knows my intention as I ask the question. So climate change is actually the result of something else and that is the result of our pollution. So air pollution water pollution and soil pollution. And we don't often think of the soil pollution, um, but that is also happening. But you look at the pollution going up into our air and different places in the world that it's very visible with the naked eye that we can't, you know, turn a blind eye to this. And I also said, you know, there are people that deny climate change and that they think that, you know, the world just goes, the earth goes through cycles and that, you know, they feel that maybe mankind contributed, you know, some portion. You know, they know that cars are exhausting. They know these things. So maybe some portion, but not to the extent that it's causing these, you know, climate change differentials that are, you know, data-based and can be, you know, proven. And Pax's answer to that said, you know, if they agree to some part of the problem, let them agree to some part of the solution. So it's just, you know, it's just wisdom beyond anything we're hearing anywhere else right yeah i mean it that's so it's so, so broad but um you know and i want to i'm going to get into plastics and things like that a little bit down the road but um just kind of going in sequence with the book uh the next thing i kind of wanted to ask you about i know that you are a big animal welfare advocate and so you ask a lot of questions about animal wisdom and um, and whether they can, you know, incarnate, reincarnate, those kind of things. So what did you find the most interesting about the questions that you asked about animals? And you can tell me more than one if you I, want, because I know yeah, it interests you. 
Yeah, well, it, it, it does. I mean, I will say that I'm an animal activist and a vegan, and so I've lived my life. Um, of course, I wasn't always that way. There was a point where I made a decision to change, and in the beginning, it wasn't the easy path, and it was the harder path in the beginning. But I did decide to do that because it's so important to me. But um, what was gratifying to me was the validation of the things that I believe to be true because I feel them in my heart. And I think sometimes that's an easy way for us to have discernment and to make choices in life. You know, does it feel good? Like, does it feel like the right thing to do? Does it feel like you're part of the solution? Does it feel like you're part of the problem? You know, and this can help us make our decisions. So I was very gratified that Pax backed up, you know, the plant-based diet. And he did say that it's not going to happen overnight. And he's not even advocating for that or asking for that. In fact, he asked nothing other than our own, you know, awakening, conscious consciousness awakening, but that, you know, it would be the best thing to do. And so that was very gratifying to hear. And um, also surprising. So your question was, what was the most surprising thing on that? Yeah. Um, uh, or I was most, surprised. you know, thing you, yeah, thing you found most interesting or surprising or intriguing. Um, well, intriguing. One of the stories that just brings tears to my eyes, tears of joy, tears of um, awe of the animal world, is the story of how there is um, a place in Africa where they there it was the pathway that the elephants traveled every day to get to their food source and so from their kind of base where they live every day they made the same journey to get to their food source and they built a hotel right in the middle of the elephants pathway and they the elephants actually just walked through the lobby instead of you know it was just this yeah, so they just went through the hotel lobby and everybody just accepted it. And it just was this, um, just a, a really in- interesting to, to think of how we could live in unity and how we could um, raise our consciousness to the point of understanding, you know, these gentle giants and the animal world itself. So there was a lot of stories about animals that, um, were surprising because you know so you're not going to hear this somewhere else. That also dolphins have a purpose in our oceans, and I think a lot of people understand on some level that there's something to dolphins. You know, there's something they have an intelligence there that's kind of different, and it's true. They have been guiding mariners over the years, and when sometimes mariners get into trouble at sea, dolphins will appear and guide them to shore, and this is this is what Pax is telling us. So, yeah, there's many moments of just awe and joy for the natural world. Um, it's just, it really is mind-blowing. And you know what I, what I, what I um, felt was surprising is that Pax talks about the Rainbow Bridge for our pets. And um, <laughs> for those who don't know what the Rainbow Bridge, there's a, there was a poem written about how our pets cross over this bridge called the Rainbow Bridge, and they go, you know, when they, once they've passed, and they go to this land where they play and they have such a great time, and they're there waiting for us. Um, and Pax talked about the Rainbow Bridge. Did, did Pax believe that there truly is, or was, was Pax affirming that there is a Rainbow Bridge? 
Oh, he was. I'm actually, Carol, I bet you probably have insight on this, too. Want to? Um... The Rainbow Bridge is, in fact, um, a legend. It is a legend that helps people uh, in this earth school that we live in uh, to adjust to the fact that their beloved pets have passed over. And as Pax tells us, it's a place where uh, the animals go and it's wonderful, large grassy fields, meadows filled with flowers, all those beautiful things you might uh, like to hear about. When the pets, when they're there, are young and vibrant again, and they play and just wait, and they wait for the day that their masters also cross over and they are reunited, and at that point, together, they cross the Rainbow Bridge. (laughs) You had asked a question earlier, Randy, about animal reincarnation. And I'd like to make a comment that it's not the sort of thing that most people think about. Um, I hadn't for a long while, and there came, um, there came a day when I was working together with PAX, and we were working... Uh, let me preface it by saying that together we have done a lot of work in animal communication, and particularly with horses, for the purpose of of uh, helping them through um, emotional problems, which perhaps people don't think animals have, but they in fact do. And I was surprised one day when I was working with a very troublesome horse. <clears throat> and communicating and asking questions to learn that that horse was telling me about past lifetimes. And when I was searching for the root of the emotional problems this horse was having, this horse went back to tell me about past lifetime as a war horse and fears that emerged from that. So uh, it's something um, to be considered, to think about, and to realize when we have animals that aren't always um, compliant with our wishes that there's, they too have had past lifetimes and to investigate the reincarnation of animals is, is a fascinating subject. So, um, <laughs> that is fascinating. That. Yeah, I know, I know horses are, are very intelligent, um, but so you're so animals have baggage just like we all do. <laughs> These horses, um, the horses are beyond intelligent, aren't they? They're wise. They are. They they're have an they're amazing. Yeah. And baggage. And yeah. animals can have low self-esteem too, which I, I did find surprising that animals can suffer from low self-esteem and just need a pep talk and their own empowerment that they can do something. And really, when you break it down, they're not at all different. From humans, you know, any emotion that we have, um, they have. You know, they they suffer from low self-esteem sometimes. They love, they miss you. They are aware of time when you're gone. This goes directly to the story of Blackie. Yes, yes. Well, Blackie is a, a w- horse. Yeah, go I ahead, worked Carol. with a racehorse um, who I was called in to work with a racehorse who was giving up. She would come uh, out of the starting gate, and then she would just she would just fade. And in my work with her, uh, she had a belief that 
because of her low self-esteem. She had a belief that she wasn't good enough, that when all the other horses uh, broke out of the gate ahead of her and there was a pack of horses ahead of her, she didn't believe that she had the strength uh, to catch up with them and get through them or around them or do what she needed to do. So in our our work together with her, with PAX, to uh, help her understand that she did, in fact, have the ability, um, we talked her through it, and she reevaluated her her whole being. And um, when I asked her the question, don't you think you're you're strong enough or you're good enough to get through that pack of horses. She did, uh, she did what, pardon me, looked to me like, felt to me like she was putting her hands on her hips and saying, of course I can. I'm a big, strong girl, you know. And (laughs) I said, right, good. And we worked from there. And you know what? Within, within the week, um, my phone rang and, um, it was the news that Blackie had won her next race. So, oh, what a wonderful story. But the fear oh. is in horses, particularly performance horses, which I worked with, show jumpers, um, race horses. Particularly with race horses, the fear is there is such a thing as it's called a claiming race. And if the horse loses badly, uh, they've been registered that they can be claimed, as in purchased, by someone else for cheap, cheap. The fear with the horses is if they don't do well, they're going to go away. They will not come back to their same barn that night. Um, They'll be loaded in someone else's trailer and go to another barn or worse. So there's a tremendous fear. Um, How sad. It's unjust. That's it. It mm. is unjust. That is so And for anyone sad. who thinks that animals don't have those emotions, they're just kidding themselves. I mean, anyone who's ever had a pet knows that animals have emotions, and they can feel sad, they can feel lonely, and they can feel fear. They have a full range of human emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just truly awesome. I love it. Uh Trying to, I want to make sure that we get through a lot. I wanted to talk about. You asked about Roswell, New Mexico, and um, mm-hmm. the supposed crash of uh, of an alien craft there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they tell you that it was deliberately shot down because, in the, what we've learned through, uh, you know, word of mouth, I guess, um, is that there was one alien that they did find, and the alien was dead, and that they had it for um, testing or or whatever. But it's Mm -hmm. kind of a sad story, because what actually happened there? Mm So in 1947, the crash at Roswell that we all have heard about did indeed happen, and more than what we know is that there were eight crafts eight alien crafts that came that day and it was an arranged meeting with the United States military and so it had been communicated and agreed upon as a meeting where the ETs would be sharing information, sharing technology and their hope at that time was to help humanity start to move forward in our evolution 
both as a species in terms of our spiritual and consciousness evolution as well as our technological evolution. And if you can do that, certainly you can end fossil fuels, etc. So it's a very important thing. So it was an arranged meeting, and the United States military had intentions that were different than that. So when the craft came into the airspace, which was near Roswell, the U.S. military decided to shoot one of them down, and they wanted to steal their technology. So the intention behind that was to steal the technology. So the craft came down. The other seven left, immediately left their air, the airspace of planet Earth and went home. And that craft was indeed taken to Area 51, where it still exists today. Some parts of it have disappeared. And a lot of it is still there, and there's still opportunity to continue to reverse engineer it. And there are things that we can learn today that we may not have learned over the last number of decades um, having, you know, worked on this because there's new technologies now that PAX has actually pointed to, you know, have another look at that vehicle. But there was one being that did survive that crash. He did not die on the spot, survived the crash, and was taken for testing, just as you said, that we believe that happened. And he did survive for a period of time, and then he, because of being tested on, succumbed to his injuries and, and died. And so I was very saddened by that um, story because they came to help us and they came with good intentions and this is how we responded to them. And it just made me very sad. So one of my questions was, you know, did their family know what happened to them or did they just never come back? And Pax said, well, all in their advanced societies is done telepathically. So they would have known instantly what happened to their relative. And so all is known instantly and all intentions are known and nothing is left unknown. And so I just wanted to apologize for humanity that that happened. And I asked Pax, can you, can you send a message to their, to their family? Because it wasn't that long ago, 1947, that they would still have, and presumably they live a lot longer than us, they would still have relatives alive today can we send a message apologizing for that that just expressing you know my sorrow for for that and he said um it it doesn't need to go through him that all is known through intention and that i can and anyone can simply send thoughts and intentions of healing love to them and that we can do that and that actually opens a bigger conversation that indeed that is the way to foster a new relationship with our ancient ancestors that we can still do that today. Wow. And there is a lot of information uh, in the book about intention and telepathic and um, all that stuff. Uh, so I said I wanted to touch on the the um, plastic problem that we're having and how it's polluting our earth and um, these... And, and you said uh, that where he said, it said, they said, uh, about <laughs> hemp, how, how hemp could actually be an alternative to plastic, which I thought was interesting. Yes. It's very interesting. Plastic, and we talked about this the first time that you invited us on as guests. We talked a little bit about, and I'll refresh for the audience now, that 
it wasn't that long ago that we didn't have plastic. And so now, you know, you look at our computers made out of plastic and also carpet. For anyone who doesn't know, guess what carpet is? It's a it's a polyurethane chemical. It's not um, a natural product. That's what carpet is, unless you have wool carpet, which is very unlikely in most cases. And our clothing, polyester clothing, anything made out of polyester, you wonder why some towels don't absorb water. Well, it's because they're actually made out of plastic. So, so much of our world now in just the last few decades is now made out of plastic and all that just goes into our oceans, goes into our landfills. So it could not be more important for us to pivot away from plastic and to do it quick because this is it just it's um the problem every single day gets worse and worse and worse and we really need to do something. So he does give us the solution. And I, I'm not in the book. I'm practically begging for a solution. I'm like, this is so important. Can you please <laughs> tell us what to right. do? And he says to replace all plastic with hemp cellulose. That anything that we're making out of plastic, whether it be, you know, plastic wrap for your foods, so something pliable and soft, or the harder plastics, like perhaps the chair that you're sitting on, you know, the harder components to a vehicle, for instance that no matter what the plastic is, it can be made with hemp cellulose mixed with different plant fibers depending on the consistency or the, you know, firmness of plastic you're looking for. And then we come up with the term plantics instead of plastics, plantics, and that that is the future. So if companies out there can simply retool, there are so many insights and do unto earth where you know, we're not asking for companies to go out of business, and it's not a radical idea. You can make more money with this new product on the market, and everybody will need, you know, the new stuff made out of plantics, made out of hemp cellulose. There are billion-dollar ideas in this book, and a lot of solutions that is not asking, you know, farmers to stop doing what they're doing, but to retool and do something else. You think about retooling to now harvest hemp and hemp has a lot of other um, fantastic benefits as well other than just the plastic but just full of solutions and do under earth oh yes absolutely um, then you go into um, you ask about the electromagnetic fields of uh, radiation of um, the phones and the things that that we have and what mm-hmm. they're doing to our brains and our organs um, and, you know, I'm just skipping along because I want to make sure I get this stuff. So, um, but you talk about shungite, which is a mineraloid stone that's mined from Russia. Mm-hmm. I happen to sleep with shungite under my pillow every night. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I do. Most people don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I do that. Um, and, you know, it's a small piece, and I'd like to have a bigger piece, so I might consider that. But it would be nice to have it in every room. Um, mm-hmm. But it does mm-hmm. absorb or protect us from radiation, mm-hmm. right? It is a barrier to electric magnetic radiation, and they do sell phone covers in Shungite. You can just, you know, Google that or go on to wherever you buy your stuff, and you can get for $10 or less a phone cover made out of Shungite. and many other things like that. So you, you keep phones in your pockets. A lot of men keep it in their pocket, and it what is it doing? It's sitting right against their internal organs. So it is something to look at, and Pax points to, I asked the question of Shungite. He didn't bring it up. I asked it, is this something useful? And he, he says, yes, but 
what's really frying the brains of your youth is the electronics itself. So that, you know, to look at Shungite as a very successful tool, but to also know that the, you know, the real problem is perhaps the device itself in that it is, you know, dumbing us down in our communication skills and that we, through our intuition, our sixth sense, have a plethora of abilities that we should be tapping into, including ultimately telepathic communication, and that there's so many senses that we should be developing and that, you know, this constant going back to the telephone and to, you know, incessantly looking at social media, these things are really hampering our development in other areas, including just interpersonal communication. Right. Absolutely. I completely agree. And this leads into um, how he says this device is going to evolve into a tiny instrument and then perhaps a chip under the skin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a little controversial because we hear conspiracy theories, um, end time theories of mm-hmm. people even citing the Bible and the book of Revelations in the Bible that the idea that people might be chipped and that would be part of a negative type globalization. First of all, I asked Pax, so what do you think about globalization? He's not for globalization that um, that's not what he's for. So this is something different. So I said, well, would you approve of this chip? So basically he says that eventually, as you said, Randy, devices get smaller and smaller and smaller until you can, you know, hold them tiny, tiny in your hand and then maybe just under the skin. So now it becomes this idea of a chip. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now this opens a can of worms. You know, is this the that we should be wary of like do you approve of this and Pac says it's not that whether I approve of it it's whether you approve of it Mm. and you individually approve of it if you want that just like if you want that iPhone that's in your hand right now you will have that iPhone if you want that chip this new device that gets so small that you can just carry it around and actually under your skin, then you will do that. So it is a self-empowerment that you decide if you want that. Pax says, I'm just telling you that it is to be. It will happen. This is where your technology is going. And it's what you do with it. So the nefarious uh, people with the intentions that are nefarious are going to use that or any technology for the negative. And the people with good intentions will use it for the positive. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, Uh, you know... um, Oh, I just wanted to talk about so much. Um, okay, chapter 13, the life of life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like this question you asked because it's something um, that I truly believe in. And you say, why does light always win over darkness? How is mm-hmm. this a, cer- a certainty? And my feeling is that when we are, something dark is happening in our world, in our society, that the way to remedy it is for us to shine our light brighter rather than go after it, resist it, argue with it, just to shine our light brighter. And if we all did that, I believe that things would change drastically. So what does Pax say about that? 
Well, first of all, you're a very enlightened person and you are channeling that information not too dissimilar to how Carol would channel. Now, Carol's been doing this for many years. Hers is at um, a particular level that um, she gets a very clear communication from spirit. But your knowingness of that truth is you're channeling it and you're tapping into those six sensibilities that we talked about. So what he says regarding that, he had told me earlier in the book that light always wins over darkness. So I was returning to, to a statement that he made to say, well, well, wait a minute, you know, why is that? Because you see a lot of bad things in the world. So how can you say that ultimately in the end, light will win over darkness? And so the answer in, you know, just to encapsulate it is that you can think of it as the sunshine and the clouds. The sunshine is really all there is. Clouds are a temporary thing and they just cloud the sunshine. So that goodness, that light that's in us, that enlightenment is what is the truth. And then there is the pollution, you know, the cloud, the the toxins, the particles that will periodically cloud that truth, that light, that knowing. And so light always wins over darkness because it is what is and the other is temporary. And as we raise our consciousness as a civilization, and that is the direction we're going in, even though sometimes it doesn't seem like it, we are evolving spiritually. And as we raise consciousness, each one of us, we then raise consciousness collectively. And so that is the direction that we're going in. That's good to know. You know, I I don't know if I said this before, but as I do this work, while I do the show, um, I learn so much. And what I've discovered is how many people are have awoken, how many people mm-hmm. have you know advanced their consciousness. Uh, it's happening at a extremely rapid rate, and I know because I get the pitches coming across my desk. So many people are writing about this stuff that, and and people who never channeled before or people who never had psychic abilities, all of a sudden they're having them. There's, uh, it's happening quickly. Uh, I think this is what we're teaching, Randy. We're teaching that everybody has the power within them. Everybody has this ability and to awake to it uh, is the greatest gift a person can bring to themselves as our time is speeding up as our our earth time seems to be moving more quickly you are witnessing this in in the uh, the greater load of of inquiries you're getting and more people are finding themselves awakened it now now we have to help these people on their journey uh to continue to discover their own truths and you're doing that yes um, I actually have a client who, um, you know, I do narcissistic abuse um, coaching, and um, mm-hmm. I actually have a client that just, boom, you know, healed and just went to this whole awakening thing. And it was, I just sit and laugh <laughs> when I when I talk to him because <laughs> because it just went, it just came right over him. He went from from being so sad and and physical and hung up in the past to like, whoa, up there. So uh, that to me is is truly amazing. So I've seen it. I've witnessed it. Um, Let's let me ask you, because I, you know, there's so many things I wanted to talk to you about, but let me Mm -hmm. ask you in our last, um, you know, seven or eight minutes, what it is you want to talk about. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think is super important? I mean, they're all super important, but anything in particular? 
Yes, I mean, one thing that comes to my mind in terms of the environment is something from PACS that nearly brought me to my knees. And we actually had to have a conversation with our publisher as to whether or not we would publish it. And I can't say that we published the entire conversation because it was um, a little jolting, but it has to do with Australia and the coal. So Australia is the largest exporter of coal in the world. And also, as we know, Australia has bushfires seasonally during their summer, which starts, you know, it's about January. So every year, and the fires are getting more intense and greater, and we know, we know that. We see that a lot, and there's a lot of talk about that. Pax wanted to draw our attention to, and I had not asked this question. I was asking about the bushfires in general, but I hadn't even thought about the coal and usually Pax only gives me the answer for something that I've asked the question. He doesn't, he's not in the habit of volunteering information. He volunteered that we are to look at the coal in Australia. And then if you look at the places where they're bringing coal from deep underground, where it should stay, up to the surface, and then it's staged in different areas before it's shipped out all over the world, largest exporter of coal, he said, that you need to be aware of what will happen when the coal, when the fire, when the bushfires meet the coal and what that will mean for the continent of Australia. So I wanted to bring attention to that because it's a very critical thing. And there are people out there that can do something about this. You know, somebody listening might know somebody and this is something that needs to be looked at. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I do have listeners from Australia, so all, from all over the world. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Uh, we wow, you did that quickly. So wait, so let me ask you. Um, you asked them about cancer. I know this is something mm-hmm. that everybody would kind of want to hear. Um, yeah. And wh- where cancer comes from, how we get rid of it. What did Pax tell you? that there isn't a cure for cancer in the way that we think there is. So all of this research that they're doing, you know, all the testing on animals that they've been doing for decades is really a futile effort. Cancer won't be resolved by a cure. There's not going to be a pill or a tablet or a vaccine. That's just not how it works. It is the cells of our body going, you know, crazy, to put it in simple terms for time's sake, based on what we're eating and those environmental influences. So all of the pollution, you know, you look at the steroids that – you know, they inject into cows to make them large, to be more profitable. And you're taking that into your body now. So don't think it just disappears because it's laced into the meat and then it goes into you. So pesticides in your vegetables, all of these things, these are where cancers come from. Poisoning in our water, poisoning in our soil that the food is grown with. And even the um, fear hormones in the animals as they are, you know, raised and then slaughtered in slaughterhouses. And there's a fear element that releases chemicals in their body. So all of these things, all of these environmental pollutions are the cause of cancer. So the solution is in turning that around. It's not going to be found anywhere else. What about stress? I I thought I read that in there, that, um, you know, our emotional state can impact that. Did, did you mention that in that book? Sure. I, we, we also mentioned that in another book of ours that I believe you read that we talked about in the first okay. book. But it is, it is mentioned um, briefly in Do Unto Earth. And, and just like you would think that, you know, stress also is, um, 
has an impact in our body. And, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the world right now with our political environment as well as our physical environment that causes stress and these have negative impacts on our health. We know that. I mean, this is something tangible that that we know this to be true. I'd like to add, if I can, that a part of that stress you're mentioning is holding negativity in the body, in the mind. We are not to do that. We are told that uh, we, we can and should release the kind of negativity that too many people are ho- holding due to, due to the world situation and, you know, their own family and um, what's, what's happening in their lives that is troublesome. It's very difficult to just say to somebody, release that negativity, release that stress, but uh, it can be done and it is a contributor um, to, to the cancers that, that people are finding themselves with. It's interesting that science is not going to be the way. It's going to be how we change our environment, how we change our diet, how we make different choices. Uh, you know, I've gone to, I've changed to um, a lot of organic for certain things that I know are heavily pesticide, uh, pest, you know, have are grown with pesticides. Mm-hmm. And um, I've stopped doing wheat because I understand the you know, how that is not even the same grain. There's nothing about it that's the same Mm -hmm. as it used to be. It's bad for us. So um, I'm trying to make changes. I think we all need to make changes. We need to read labels. We need to care about what we're putting in our bodies. Oh, speaking uh, of labels, I just wanted to say that we did talk to PAX about the idea of having new organic labels. So it's water organic, air organic, and soil organic. You cannot say it's organic just because the soil hasn't had chemicals for eight years. It's not truly organic because the air in which it is growing and the water that it's receiving is full of chemicals. Mm, That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. And then you could have all three. You could have a water, soil, and air organic product. So these are actually opportunities. You know, these are opportunities for you know, those people that are, you know, growing um, and making products to not look at this as a bad thing, but these are opportunities. Do better. Oh, I completely agree. Uh, you have put out mm-hmm. there so many opportunities. So um, so your book is Do Unto Earth. It's not too late, um, which is, like I said, it's an amazing book, and um, it's something everybody should have because the, the information in here yeah. is things – we all want to know. Um, it's always, <laughs> I mean, this is the second time, but it's just very profound, everything that you share with us. And um, and I feel honored to have you sharing that with us. So thank you so much for being my guest again. And um, when you have more, let me know. <laughs> thank you, Randy. We just want to tell everyone to go to PaxWisdom.com, and that is spelled P-A-X, PaxWisdom.com, and you'll find all of our books there. And we, I know that I, Carol and I really appreciate you, Randy. You have been amazing in helping us spread our message, and this message goes nowhere without your help. So we really appreciate you. Oh, you are so yes, very welcome. Thank you, Randy. You are very, very welcome. Okay, we're out of time. Sorry, but I have to say goodbye. Uh, Thank you, Randy. (laughs) So I'm sure we'll be in touch in the future. 
Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you, you Randy, and to you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.